It's a mean age. But it is going to be a beautiful future as long as we don't f*** it up. I'm Brian McWilliams, and this is Mean Age Daydream, where I bring you unfiltered comedy, criticism, philosophy, and politics with a Mean Age Daydream. What's up, Buttercups? Welcome to Mean Age Daydream with me, Brian McWilliams, your beautiful host. Still fighting a little bit of a cold here, so excuse any coughs that happen. I'm drinking some bone broth, and uh, you know what? I didn't get store brought, but I, I got it from a uh, like a shop up the street delivery because I don't have a damn car right now, which I'm feuding with Hyundai over. That's a battle I'll win. Don't you worry. I'm using my public relations expertise to pressure them into giving me a new engine, and it's going to happen. But anywho, it's kind of gamey. It's a little stanky, this bone broth. So hopefully I don't make matters worse with my unfortunate stomach situation. I'm also battling today. Wonderful day all around for years, truly. But guys, the good news is we just recorded a new South Park recap show for our Patreon and our uh, locals listeners. If you want to join, you can listen to that. I do it with Dan Smots of the System is Down podcast. Recorded the first three episode recaps of South Park, breaking down what the themes are, the libertarian good, the libertarian bad, the comedy and all that good stuff. So you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Look, Lions of Liberty. Don't type in the cough. Just uh, just use Lions of Liberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. Check that out. We'll probably be uh, continuing on doing those recaps as long as the show is funny enough to warrant it. We did uh, Rick and Morty recaps for quite some time until the show got so crappy, so eye-rollingly bad that we stopped doing them. Although we did do a recap talking about the decision to fire Justin Roiland from Rick and Morty, of course, co-creator and all the voices and replace him with a voice double. So we'll probably have to watch to see what happens with the show. Anyway, regardless, got a big episode here today. A lot of news dropped. So one of those things where you start off with one idea in mind. I was going to do a show targeting... The release of American, or I'm sorry, not American, the history of the world part two and do a recap of that because that's just been coming out from Mel Brooks. Now, I'm still going to do that probably next week now, but because Chris Rock's special just dropped and that's been getting a lot of attention, I watched that. So we'll do some of that because this Alex Murtaugh decision or Murdoch, I was saying Murtaugh, Murdaugh, uh decision dropped where he was found guilty of murdering his wife and child. I want to talk about that and the Netflix and the example of this powerful family and why these people are able to have this monopoly on violence and, and influence. And of course, also, I do want to talk about January 6th because Tucker Carlson had gotten access from Speaker McCarthy to the unedited, uh, you know, full bore videos that were a result of the surveillance cameras from January 6th, which, of course, were very selectively edited, released, etc., by the January 6th committee, who also didn't allow any Republicans on there, didn't allow them to have any influence in who was questioned or how the questions went out. Basically, a kangaroo court. So let's start off with that, shall we? So January 6th, if you're one of the wee brains in the world, you think this was an attack on our democracy. And actually, that's one of the things that did piss me off in the Chris Rock special, although probably the timing of that was a little bit bad for Chris because he talks about the January 6th, quote unquote, insurrection and how these people were seeking to overthrow our democracy as if 
democracy resides in a building in the government and you can simply take over the building when none of the people that run the uh that run the state and uh and federal government happen to be in that building at any time but just by occupying the facility you somehow get control of the government there's literally no government that's ever existed in which that was the case even back when the kings were the kings and they had the king's castle, if you went into the king's castle and sat on the throne, and even if you fucked his wife, you're still not the king. Not the way it works here either. So, I won't bore you with the details. You all know how it worked out. A very ridiculous, corrupt court uh, proceedings put forth in a televised spectacle, which is, again, never, never seen anything like this in the history of the country, and, and as long as I've been alive, never seen anything like this. It was literally produced by a Hollywood producer, selectively editing footage taken from the January 6th riot insurrection, Capitol Hill storming, or what we've learned to, re, to be revealed now is essentially people walking in guided by police. It was a joke. But yet, it was told to us as though this was a great threat. It was parroted by mainstream media on the left as though it was the greatest threat to humanity that's ever been, even though, as mentioned, it had literally zero chance of making any impact on the actual wheels and levers of power in the nation. At best, it could be seen as a shot across the bow of the powers that be saying, look, we don't believe what we're being told here. We want, I'd say, a recount. Right. If you believe that this was in response to Donald Trump losing the election, if you believe that he encouraged the people to march in, which I personally don't don't believe uh, such is life. And not to say I'm not a Donald Trump supporter, by the way, I'm not a fan of his. I, I think he had betrayed many of the initial principles that he ran on. I think that he didn't drain anything and, in fact, embraced the deep swamp and, in, in fact, probably made the deep state more powerful during his time in office. That being said, Tucker Carlson now has released video, and let me let me pull up a uh, a little video snippet here, which has been he has been accused of quote unquote selectively ugh, selectively editing by Chuck Schumer, despite the fact that the clips that Tucker Carlson has shared were in fact selectively edited. Yes, this is true. To debunk the clips that Chuck Schumer and his other cronies, Adam Kinzinger, had had put out during these trials, right? To to complete the narrative that the Democrats wanted to lead, that this was a unbelievably violent insurrection to make you think that there were zombie hordes beating down all the doors at the Capitol, which simply is not true. We're coming to learn to paint the people that went in there as monsters, as lunatics, as, you know, these fringe psychopaths that went in to try to kill people instead of people that were going in taking selfies on people's desks and were in fact guided through. Now, let me share this video right here. I'll share my screen real quick and uh, hopefully not get pulled from YouTube, but you never know. So here we go. Costume who led the violent insurrection to overthrow American democracy. For these crimes, Chansley was sentenced to nearly four years in prison, far more time than many violent criminals now receive. What did Jacob Chansley do to receive this punishment? To this day, there is dispute over how Chansley got into the Capitol building. But according to our review of the internal surveillance video, it is very clear what happened once he got inside. Virtually every moment of his time inside the Capitol was caught on tape. The tapes show that Capitol Police never stopped Jacob Chansley. They helped him. They acted as his tour guides. Here's video of Chansley in the yeah, Senate chamber. The Capitol police doors. officers take him to multiple entrances and even try to open locked doors for him. 
we counted at least nine officers who were within touching distance of unarmed Jacob Chansley. Not one of them even tried to slow him down. Chansley understood that Capitol Police were his allies. Video shows him giving thanks for them in a prayer on the floor of the Senate. All right, I'm going to cut it down. I don't really need to see the prayer, but he does, in fact, talk about them on the floor of the Senate uh, <coughs> using his bullhorn. Now, this is one of uh, several instances. Now, he's going to be doing more tonight. Unfortunately, that's going to be after I record this show. But the idea here is that T- Tucker Carlson is debunking the greatest lies that have been told to us, right? In regards to this Viking man, you know, in regards to the cop that was that was shot, or, or I'm sorry, wasn't shot. The cop that they kept saying died over and over again, right? This was their, their big red flag. Like, this is their big defining moment that one of the police officers died, yet... They said that he had died in the building at a certain specific time period. And you've got video that Tucker Carlson has shared showing that he was walking around totally fine after this timestamp. So this is stuff that's willfully held back from the public to to tell them a pure and simple lie, a pure and simple narrative devoid of actual reality, devoid of actual uh, evidence, because that's what they could do. That was the power that they held over this committee. So. What does this mean, right? As I said in the episode title here, what does it all mean? What's the actual impact of this? Because of having a little bit of back and forth, you know, even with John uh, Odermatt, of course, my co-host, which stole a lot of the shit I was going to talk about on the episode today on his Monday episode. Really, we should probably coordinate more on that, considering that I am the current events guy. But I digress. Even going back and forth with John a little bit and others. Because look, you can either say that whatever's released isn't going to matter. Right. And you can believe that this is all going to be brushed under the rug and seeing the mainstream media response from this. Right. Especially NBC articles saying, well, Tucker Carlson is trying to describe these protests as peaceful. This is a false narrative. Right. Meanwhile, they parroted an absolutely false narrative to begin with and with no hubris whatsoever. The mainstream media is going full court press to try to push these things back. But the problem is when you have video online, which is easily available, which people cannot, you know, it's incontrovertible when you look at this video evidence that clearly what has been presented to us during these court hearings was a lie, was a a complete fabrication. And as I said, edited by a Hollywood producer to create this dramatic TV special, it's going to have an impact. Now, I don't even care, though. People are saying, well, Right. You know, the people that are that are invested in this narrative, they're not going to change their minds. No, they're probably not. You're right. Those people don't matter, though. Those are the people that I don't give a shit about. I don't care about those people. I never will care about those people. Much of what I'm trying to do on this show, and as I I mentioned, the book I'm working on, rewriting narratives to create a better mythology, to create a better inspirational piece into what people can believe in is not targeted towards your MSNBC, Rachel Maddow loving idiot leftists. Those people are not reachable. Just as the neocons on the far right, the people that believe that, you know, like the Dan Crenshaws of the world that believe that we should go to every war that Ukraine must be supported at all across the Mitch McConnell's, these people are not going to be reachable. They're not my target. And guess what? They're going to be gone soon. They're going to be dead. Nancy Pelosi's going to be dead. Mitch McConnell's going to be dead. Dan Crenshaw, well, he might hang on for a lot of years, but who knows? He might lose another eye and fall down the stairs. I don't know. Point being, the people I'm trying to reach are not people that watch cable news. You could argue that Tucker Carlson's video release here will reach and and feed his viewership audience. Great. Now, granted, that is the biggest viewership audience of all cable news shows. They've gained 
more Democrats watching Tucker Carlson's show than MSNBC has gained, than CNN has gained. He has Democrats watching his show, whether they're watching to love it or hate it, Howard Stern style, right? Back in the day when Howard Stern wasn't a piece of garbage. Whether or not they're watching to love it or hate it, they're still watching. And they may be won over. But that's not even the point. That's just kind of evening things out, right? The beauty of the era we live in now, especially with Elon Musk on Twitter, is that you have content that comes out from Tucker Carlson or from whatever source it might be that can be shared, that can be can be taken, repurposed, and put forward in platforms and social channels and network tubes straight to the viewer's brain holes in which they can make their own decision. That's the beauty of the world that we are getting into now, that some of these gatekeeping methods are breaking down. MSNBC, CNN, Fox, whatever, they're, they're all gatekeepers. Right. This is the point that Russell Brand was making when he was talking to the hack from MSNBC, Fox, MSNBC. They're all the same. They're all gatekeepers pitching a specific narrative. But when you have video like this, it now transcends. It can now be shared. And the next generation who do not watch cable news, by the way, they are getting their information from Twitter. They're getting their information from TikTok. They're getting their information from a timeline that's being shared here. And they're seeing that video distinctly. And they can make that judgment for themselves, whether or not what they were told, what they were shown, if they even saw it from January 6th, matches up. But I'll tell you what, just like those games you play at the bar when you're hammered of which one of these pictures doesn't match up, you can very clearly see which one of these is an absolute lie that's been told to you. And you add us on top of all the other drip, drip, drips of information that have been coming out here about masking, about COVID, about mRNA vaccines, about uh, myocarditis. All of these things are drip, drip, drips, which are saturating our cultural moments. And you may not get it right now. You may not see right now the effect that it's having, but I can promise you it is having an effect. You can't have this many... absolutely blown up to the moon, completely changed society lines of thinking that are pushed all through every major media outlet completely fall apart without people saying, you know what? I'm just being lied to. You know, I I can see, even if I have my own bias, even if I don't want to believe it, right? And these people might not have to admit it, but I don't need them to admit it. Look, I don't need you to get down on your knees like a white person kissing a Black Lives Matters activist shoe. I don't need you to be contrite to me in regards to how badly you feel that you were duped. I just need you to know you were duped. And many of these people do know. Trust me, you. They can believe whatever, you know, again, the people that I don't care about can believe whatever nonsense is being pushed on their own network. But... Everybody else is seeing what's in front of their face because of the beauty that is social media sharing, because of the beauty that is decentralized information networks, which is where we are now. This is why it's so important to to defend free speech. This is why it's so important to decentralize where servers are based, where media outlets are, are hosted, because if you can control the information flow, like, for example, how China can control Google, right, and and, and cut off ports or, or these various European institutions to cut off your access to websites on a government level because it's misinformation, that's a problem, right? If they can cut off access to certain aspects of Twitter, which they're pressuring Elon Musk about now, that's a problem. 
This is why the decentralization is so key, because having these information channels, these networks that can mesh together and spread apart at a moment's notice to give people different perspectives outside of a reality of one narrative is vital. And that's how we're going to win. And this is yet another step. In my opinion, I could be wrong, but this is yet another step that's going to be awakening. And I guarantee you, if you talk to somebody that's on the younger side of things, not the old head, not the old fuddy fucker that's watching CBS News at night and watching every stupid NCIS piece of crap show that they keep recycling like a turd that won't flush. They will tell you, yeah, we were lied to. This is all bullshit. I told you guys before the story about Kamala Harris, how I was talking to a young daughter of a very leftist friend of mine about Kamala Harris as her parents, like two idiot zombies are chanting Kamala, Kamala in the corner. It's true. I talked to her and she goes, no, Kamala Harris is terrible. I hate her. All my friends hate her. We all hate her. She's a, she's a complete fraud. She's an idiot. She's an evil person. We know what she's done as far as going after black mothers and trying to threaten them with jail time. We know that she goes, you know, they know this information's out there. These people have far more access to far more nuanced narratives, information, uh, you know, platforms than we give them credit for. And yet we get wrapped up. And blackpelling ourselves because NBC put out some stupid counter narrative to the video that's plain as day to see that, yes, was custom selected to debunk your video narratives, Adam Schumer. Guys, think beyond mainstream media. Your brains are still stuck in the 20th century. We're now in the 21st century. Catch up. Okay. Actually, I guess we're in the 22nd century. <laughs> no, we're in the 21st century. Um, <laughs> it's like those, <coughs> those things I always have to catch myself because, <coughs> excuse me, so many people for so long use the wrong definition of 20th versus 21st century. Yeah, we're in the 21st century because we are 2023 beyond the 20th century. Ah, there you go. Good job. Good job, me. All right. So anyway, that's the true impact though, guys. That's the true impact. Stop getting tied up in your mainstream media narratives and stop stop getting depressed thinking about how it's never going to change anything because they aren't going to believe it. It's not about those people. Okay. Next, let's talk about this Alex Murtaugh, right? Alex Murtaugh was, or Murtaugh, I don't know how you the name. I want to say Murtaugh like in uh, Lethal Weapon. Get do over this shit. But this was a guy from a family that's like five generations deep in South Carolina. And very recently, I think it was two days ago, he got found guilty of murdering his wife and son. Now, his son does seem to be a massive piece of shit, just an entitled little garbage monster who definitely killed a girl because he crashed a boat when he was hammered. Yes, those kids on the boat. And basically the narrative here, they went out drinking to an oyster roast. He, they all get on the boat after they've been drinking and they, they say, you shouldn't drive. But yet none of them wanted to leave the other ones behind to Uber. So they all get on the boat. They all get pretty badly injured. One girl dies. No real repercussions for this kid. So what happens? Well, the family covers it up. And there's a Netflix series as well as I think maybe a Hulu documentary that's out, right? The one I watched was the Murtaugh murders and... It lays out this family's influence throughout the generations. You know, they had a law firm, the largest and oldest and most powerful law firm in the region, in the county. They represented people on the prosecution side and on the defense side. 
They operated as, I'm trying to think, like the lead prosecutor in most cases. They worked hand-in-hand with law enforcement. They had family members that would cross over into law enforcement. They would have absolute control from the get-go and access from the get-go to foundational pieces of law enforcement and the justice system whenever anything went wrong. Now, I wanted to talk about this because, you know, when I was talking to Brian Nichols on his show, and by the way, I'm going to have him on my show soon, um, wanted to give it a little bit of time because he was just on with Odie, but we're going to be talking about persistence in what you're doing and how that's a key to success. But it seemed like a good time to talk about the aspects of this case because it's going through the cultural conversation. And it's vital for us, if we're going to do anything as far as pushing forward a philosophy of liberty here, is to take advantage of cultural moments to to talk about why these things happen and how they can be better. With this Murtaugh family, right? And now they're involved with multiple deaths. There's like five in the Netflix special they're talking about. (coughs) The two which happened wherein Alex Murtaugh, the father, excused of killing his wife and his son. That's when he got convicted for. The other ones they have not been convicted for. There's one that's a housekeeper that had very curious circumstances around her death. Another one was a gay uh, high schooler, which they had said had an alleged relationship with one of the other sons in this family. And he was found beaten to death. And they said, oh, well, as a car hit him. No, a car didn't hit him. Still an open case to this day. But it comes back around to the problems that exist when you have this monopoly on justice, um, a monopoly on police and, and use of violence, a monopoly on who is the arbiter of what is justice, what it looks like, and who actually investigates. Because in all these cases, you have a very powerful family that, as I mentioned, has been so ingrained within the legal community that they're able to get into adjust who is taught, who is spoken with, who gets contacted. In the case of the girl who died by boat, her family didn't even get called by law enforcement. And the theory behind this was that the Murdoch family had put pressure on these law enforcement agencies that were doing the search and rescue and the uh, Department of Environment, whatever it was that uh, the one guy's best friend ran, you know, one of the Murtaugh brothers' best friend was heading up this, this investigation to try to find the girl. They never pinged her iPhone uh, wallet or her iPhone watch, which would give you her exact location almost instantly to find this girl. And the argument was that they didn't want her found. The family would actually be far more convenient if she was never found because then you can't really press charges necessarily because you don't know if she was dead or alive. You don't know how she died, blah, 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 blah. And of course, they also were on the scene of this boat crash early. You know, by the time every other parent was there, the Murtaugh family had been on site talking with all the police. They let them behind the police tape, you know, police tape to go out. They went, let them influence what police asked, what questions were asked, who was interviewed. I mean, it got to the level where transparently you can see that this is a corrupt system that's broken. Now, where am I coming from for this, from from the perspective of what I'm talking about? Well, like I said, it's a monopolization of what justice is and the conduits in which justice is laid out. We talk about the alternative, which is having a system in place wherein it's not based upon one police battalion to, you know, one, one police uh, chief to decide who's going to investigate what and where and how. It's not based around one family working within one form of justice system that can now influence who's investigated, what charges are placed, how people are treated when they go into jail, who gets bond and who doesn't. 
this is a system that can be rewritten. When you talk about alternatives, you talk about different justices that can be put into place, different systems of arbitration, whether that happens to be a community of, let's say, elder men or elder women that decide. Elders, you know, coming together. Hey, let's throw a trans in there to decide what justice would look like. When it talks about different police organizations that can be brought in to do an investigation or research dependent on what you might need, bringing in private investigators, which is what actually had to happen. They had to bring in a private investigator because the police completely completely gave up on their obligations to investigate any sort of pretty much the both the gay, I think his name was Sam Simon, his death never investigated. Uh, again, the girl who died in the boat accident was really never investigated. When you have a decentralized, keyword of the day, decentralized system in place wherein you can use different organizations that don't have a monopoly on control, right? They don't have one judge that's tied in that makes all the decisions on what warrants get assigned or, or who gets bail or who gets bond. You don't have one uh, organization that is going to be handling or one, let's say one law firm that's going to be completely controlling all of your legal matters and decide who's going to be questioned for how long they're going to be questioned and how long they're going to be held because they're not going to they're either going to put selective emphasis on trying or not trying on who is or is not going to be interviewed by the police at a time and when they're going to be interviewed. I mean, these guys were trying to get in during a hospital uh, surgery, an actual live surgery. The point being that none of this would be possible without a corrupt system of justice that has been existing in this country without any sort of challenge, any sort of, of thought given to the effectiveness of it and the corruption that it leads to. How many people are wrongly in prison? How many people are never in prison? And like I was saying earlier, how many people are, are never even investigated because of familiar connections? When you have a more libertarian or anarchist system in place, you can find different people to do these investigations. You can find different arbiters of justice or uh, a mutual agreement on what that restitution should be for an action to find a, a better source of truth, a better source of effective justice, rather than saying, okay, we're either going to find this person guilty or innocent. We're going to put him in jail in a cage. And then, there it goes. That's that. You know, people can be set up. People can be let loose. DNA evidence can be introduced later on that we know exonerates people that have been locked up for false causes for 30, 40 years. It's just there's no way that this would be possible except in our current existing system where you do have the monopoly on influence and systems that are so interwoven as far as to overlap that if there is one bad corrupt wire in there, it's going to short out the entire system. Kind of, again, circles back to the point I was making about decentralized forms of uh, information. When you have intertwined systems that are this tight, you have no option but to have short circuits more or less constantly. And that's what we do have with our justice system, uh, with our legal system, with the ways in which police operate tied in with law firms, tied in with, you know, lobbyists, tied in with uh, your your organizations like Search and Water Rescue or these. Basically, the only way these people actually got any sort of closure was through a private detective efforts and by hiring a civil lawyer who then was able to open up some of the uh, through subpoena power some of the aspects which were hidden from the public eye, some of these case files, the police logs, which are never brought to bear in any way during the initial investigation because there was no political will to do so. So there you go. Anyway, thought it'd be interesting just to tie that in quickly and uh, and drop a little, little bit. Okay. 
Next thing I want to move on to, guys. Uh, oh, by the way, check out, if you haven't had the chance to, check out masachips.com. Our, uh, you know, John had an interview with the, the head of Masa Chips. It's beef tallow fried uh, tortilla chips. This is basically a startup. So you're getting into support a libertarian, support a, a free market entrepreneur at the base level to try to get out of this seed oil trap that we've fallen into. But again, you know, it's going to be a little bit pricier because you are supporting a startup, but it's going to be better for your health. It's going to be better for upending the environment we live in and trying to give more credence to doing things a different way and getting a little bit healthier so that your heart will thank you by avoiding seed oils, which can cause all sorts of downsides that my wife won't stop reminding me of. So check it out, masachips.com. Use promo code LIONS to get 10% off of your order. All right, let's talk about, ugh. I guess we could talk about, uh, <laughs> let's talk about Chris Rock and his special. And then I'll finish up just talking about some other entertainment-related things. Just piss me off about the uh, Ukraine and all of the hoopla about this Live Aid event uh, on top of it. But first, let's talk about Chris Rock, because I just watched his special. Now, Chris Rock's special, so I got my notes open here. Chris Rock's special, I'll tell you right now, I, I didn't really think it was very good. Um, It just wasn't really very clever. It wasn't very funny. It wasn't very clever. There were a lot of jokes in his routine that, I don't know, it, it, they he could get away with them with his audience because it's built into like Chris Rock and he's telling the jokes like Chris Rock. But the problem is these jokes weren't clever. They weren't original. There was a joke and you know, I'll get into a little bit more detail by detail. <laughs> but for example, there was a joke about abortions where he had said, well, I think a, a woman should have an abortion up until the kids got his first report card. Okay. Is that a great joke? no. It's a joke that's been made, I'm going to guess, a thousand times by a thousand comedians. There was nothing original or no twist to to any of the material that I could see coming. And really, the biggest problem with the, the special to me was I watched the entire thing. I only laughed one time. And it was at the very end of the of the entire special. The only laugh that it that it actually got out of me was when he was talking about Will Smith, right? Because he talks about Will Smith. That's kind of gotten the most attention. He calls him a bitch a million times. And he's right. Will Smith is, Will Smith is a bitch. I, uh, I said on here after the Oscar slap incident that it would hurt Will Smith's career. And I'm right. It has very much. Nobody looks at Will Smith the same way. Everybody looks at Will Smith as a bitch, as a guy that went up there, took a joke the wrong way, uh, tried to make a big grandiose gesture, but really just looked like a punk. Looked like a humorless bitch that was, as Chris Rock said, uh, taking out his aggression as far as the terrible relationship he has with his wife on Chris Rock. And, well, again, the, the funny joke that Chris Rock had in here was that he was talking about Will Smith and Jada and how he doesn't understand how these people can have a relationship where she cheats on you. Right. Time and time again. And then you go out and put on the Internet her sitting down and saying, hey, I've been sucking this guy's dick. How do you feel about that? Right. Why would you why would you do that? And yet this is what he looks like. He looks like a cuckold. He looks like a weak man. And we know that the ego of Will Smith, especially as, you know, a, machismo, a black man from West Philadelphia will not stand for that. So he has to take it out in the only way he can think of at the time, which seems to be slapping Chris Rock. Now, the one time I laughed out loud at the special 
amongst sitting and watching in dead silence was that Chris Rock made a joke at the end talking about how he enjoys watching Will Smith only now because he used to be a big fan, used to root for Will Smith. He watches him now only in emancipation because he likes to see Massa beating the shit out of Will Smith. <laughs> that's that's a funny joke. He's like, hit him harder. You missed the spot. Hit him harder. That's a funny joke, right? That's good. Literally the only time I laughed the entire time. And this is, you know, and as opposed to Dave Chappelle's specials, which I've routinely laughed at, right? And I'm a big Chappelle fan. I, I was a big Chris Rock fan. I still like Chris Rock. Just don't think he had his best stuff today. And it's kind of a, a bad time for legends because they said Mel Brooks and the History of the World Part Two was out. So far, I'm not really liking that either. It's a bad time to be a comedy legend trying to get comeback. But... Some of the attention beyond the Will Smith stuff on this special has also been on whether or not it's woke or anti-woke. Ben Shapiro seems to think it's anti-woke. I've seen other people say it's totally woke still, like John Ziegler. I come kind of in the middle. He did enough to show you that there is a cultural shift that is happening, that people are willing to speak out against cancel culture more, against victimhood culture more, right? Where now you can't just say you're a victim and people can automatically believe you and you're untouchable. And, you know, and Chris Rock even joked about that. He goes, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to go on TV after getting slapped and cry. I'm not going to do that. It's ridiculous. But he did go out on a limb on some things. And I'll, I'll tell you the things that really stuck out to me, All right? He comes out again against cancel culture, talking about selective outrage because the people that get canceled more often than not tend to be people that, you know, most of the time have nothing to do with anything. They just happen to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. He talks about how in your job now, you have to be afraid, not because you might do a bad job, but because you might say the wrong thing uh, or do the wrong thing. And you, now you get canceled and lose your job. And there's instances of this, you know, a woman who made a joke about AIDS and who's a publicist that got fired and now is living in a cave somewhere. A woman who, who wore a Megyn Kelly ironic costume where she was Megyn Kelly in blackface got canceled because the Washington Post decided it would be a great idea to write an entire article about this woman and how she offended some other jerk off at a Halloween party. She gets fired. You know, some guy giving an okay symbol working for the government as an electrician or something loses his job because some twat takes a picture of him and then posts it on social media and he gets fired from his job. These are all real life instances. I do think that we're hitting the point where culture is saying, this is insane. We're going back. And the fact that people are getting the balls to speak up about it and to talk about it. And it's in these comedy specials means that we're going the right way. Now, another thing I will say, uh, he did take a, a little bit of piss out of corporate uh, activism, corporate virtue signaling. He talked about Lululemon and how he doesn't give a shit about people putting signs in their windows saying that they don't support racism and yada, yada. You know, like all these idiot signs we have in Los Angeles, the rainbow signs. I made a joke when every time it rains, we don't have any rainbows in Los Angeles because all the rainbows are busy being on people's fucking stupid signs in their yards. He made a joke about that. Talking about Lululemon. He said, look, I don't give a shit if you're against racism, if you're if you're anti-racist pants, do they work on my ball sweat, right? I'd much rather have racist pants for $20 than $150 pants that are anti-racist. Yeah, good, exactly. Corporate virtue signaling is supposedly this great, wonderful thing to the millennials. Well, guess what? 
Millennials are going to find out that that doesn't mean jack once they don't have money anymore. Once they find hard times, once they actually have kids, you're going to find a little bit tougher to splurge on that. And you're going to buy your Walmart and your Costco brands. And maybe the next generation after them is going to be a little bit more observant as far as what these corporations actually do. Where they virtue signal coincidentally happens to be in one market, not the other one, like the NBA when it comes to China. I think that Chris Rock, again, it wasn't hilarious, but it's nice to see. Another thing he talks about, and again, this is where uh, he kind of goes, actually, I'll do the good and then the bad. So the good. He talked about abortion in an interesting way. Now, I say that in that he, number one, he came out as you know, saying he was on the side of women's rights. He thinks that you should be able to control your body as a father of two daughters. You should have complete control of your body, right? And of course the crowd, yeah, 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 we love it. Okay, great. But to his credit, right? Even though he had, he had made some, you know, jokes about abortion, uh, uh, one really lame joke. Again, this, my problem is so many of these jokes are just lame retread jokes that anybody could be telling. He made a joke about going and getting abortions enough that he got a punch card and he gets two more, he gets a smoothie. That's a joke that I, if I wrote it, I wouldn't tell it because it's not funny. It's not clever. It's a, it's obvious. It's been done a million times. A punch card joke, Chris? Fucking come on. I guess by tying it to abortions, he thought he was being edgy. I, I don't know. But he makes the jokes about getting abortions and he says, you know, I've had, I paid for more abortions than whatever. Now, the people on the right will go, oh, that's terrible. But at the same time, he also did say, it's killing a baby. And I give him credit for that. He laid it out. And you know, there was pretty quiet in that damn crowd when he said that, but he said, yes, it's killing a baby. Let's not forget. And then he kind of lightened up again. Yo, you should be able to kill a baby up until the first, first report card. Fine. But putting that thought in there used to be something that you never saw from anybody on the left. Acknowledging that fact that it's killing a baby is a pretty powerful image concept to put out into the left if you are a black comedian that predominantly appeals to people on the left. So interesting. I give him kudos for that. He had an interesting point where he was talking about his daughter. You know, obviously he's, he talked a lot about being rich and black and he talked about how his one daughter, you know, privileged as all hell. She was in a school. She got in trouble for biting somebody in the school. I guess kicked her and a few other students out. And his ex-wife is saying, oh, we got to sue them. And they got lawyers, right? And they lawyered up and all they're just going to sue the school because they're going to kick the daughter out. And Chris Rock says he called the school up. He says, kick her out. Kick her out because I want her to learn a lesson. I want her to see that basically that there's things that can happen. There's responsibility that you have to take for your actions. And I don't want, he didn't want her to be an entitled see you next Tuesday. And they did. They kicked her out. And if it's to be believed, nobody knew about this. Nobody knew that he had this involvement until this Netflix special aired. But he said he went and watched his daughter, watched her freak out because she got kicked out of school, watched her have to go through the effort of reapplying to other high schools to explain why she had to do that, to explain on her college applications why she got kicked out of high school and why she'd never do it again. And then he pointed out that now she's in culinary school in Paris and how his grandmother, who couldn't go to a dentist, you know, a white dentist back in the day, now flies across the world to eat lunch and have coffee with his daughter in Paris at the culinary school. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing world, Chris. And that I find helpful because the constant narrative that they push about racism, and granted, a lot of this was about race, right? He dropped the N-word about a million times. 
the narrative is so absurd in this day and time that race is something that is inherently the most important thing that black people can't get ahead, that there's some, you know, that there's some barrier to black people advancing beyond what I have talked about before, which is the welfare state, the drug war, over-policing, and cultural issues that do exist, right? And, and actually, you add an educational system on top of that, right? Some of these are systematic that can be addressed and should be addressed by the decentralization of power, by giving people options in school choice, by giving people an out and decriminalizing drugs so that they don't get you know thrown into jail or have this lifestyle where they are simply consigned to stay in this area, you know, this eight by eight block area because government incentivizes them to do so, that they have an arrest record so they can't get a real job. And now you're going right back out there because the only way you can make money in really real sense and fashion is to sell these drugs, which are now over police. And now you go right back to jail. It's a vicious cycle. But at least he's talking about how it is incredible that they have come so far as as black people have been accepted and successful. And there is this opportunity. And yes, that's pretty fucking good. And we should acknowledge that that's pretty fucking good that people have come this far. We don't always have to dwell on the negative and dwell on the, on how victimhood has played such a huge role and how constantly that black America is under the boot of white America or whoever it might be anymore, because simply it's not fucking real. It's not true anymore. So good job on that, Chris. And then he also talked about female beauty, talked about his divorce, talked about uh, everything he's done. Every dollar spent is on pussy and that it wasn't the funniest bit. But I think that, again, it's important because, in my opinion, it's pushing back against this narrative that women are constantly taken advantage of and paid less. And the patriarchy is this big thing, which, again, is horseshit. I have two daughters. I'm not concerned in any way, in any way, shape or form about them being able to compete, make money, be fairly treated as opposed to men. Right now, I'm more concerned about the fact that they're going to be unfairly treated by being forced to compete against men pretending to be women. That's what I'm much more concerned about. I'm much more concerned about them being, again, you know, not discriminated against in the workplace in any way, shape or form. I think now, I'm probably more concerned that because of DIE initiatives, that they would be discriminated against because of the color of their skin or passed over for opportunities. Because I believe in equality, not equity, even though Bernie Sanders doesn't seem to know the fucking difference. And I believe that everybody should have an equal chance to showcase their God-given or taught abilities. And yes, having a better family unit in place does give you a massive advantage. It's another problem when we talk about what black America challenges they face that. And then again, this is all related to the drug war, to the welfare state, to incentivizing breaking up of families, but it's not just black America. It's every family because the government is intent on breaking families out. But yes, you know, giving my daughters the advantages that I would prefer they have by virtue of my intelligence, spending time with them, teaching them, working my ass off to put them in schools and give them toys and you know whatever it might be. I don't want them to be discriminated against because of the skin color. I don't want anybody that, that they're friends with to be discriminated against because of their skin color either. Let everybody be. Getting back to my point here. Chris Rock's talking about female beauty, right? I am definitely going to tell my daughters that should they be beautiful, and I'm sure they will be, they do have an advantage by being 
an attractive woman. Now, this comes with responsibilities. This comes with dangers, right? Because if you go out there and try to flirt with everybody, man on the street, and try to mislead people and use your sexual wiles, there might be some repercussions. You might give people the wrong idea. You might get in trouble in one way, shape, or form, hopefully not in any physical or sexually violent way, but you need to be aware of that. But when we talk about workplace influence, when you talk about social influence, yes, being a beautiful woman has a shit ton of advantages. Chris Mock made the joke about his wife saying, well, you know what? My wife, she got half my money and she's the least funny person that's ever lived, right? She didn't have to work for it. She still got half his money because she was gorgeous. She, he married her because of that. He made a joke about how Beyonce was so good looking. If she had worked at Burger King, she probably still could have married Jay-Z and it wouldn't have worked the other way around. Yeah, 100% true. Let's not pretend that sexuality, that beauty don't matter now. Now, there's a war against beauty, if you haven't noticed. There's a war against fit, good-looking people. And then you see it in every magazine. You see it in every modeling campaign now to try to normalize repugnant people. <laughs> Sorry. A lot of these people are just flat-out gross and not, not just, I'm not just talking about just being fat. I'm talking about just like lifestyle choices, uh, mental choices, everything. They're, they're showcasing all of them. The assault on beauty is intentional because, again, beauty is a great advantage to have. And female beauty, without a doubt, is a vastly more <laughs> useful commodity than, say, male beauty. You know, the, your male and whore can only get so far, but typically, yes, your female beauty can, as Chris Rock said, stop traffic. So interesting point there, fighting back against this patriarchal uh, narrative. And then last thing, uh, let's talk about some of the things that not so great on. He, again, like the timing of this with Tucker Carlson releasing these January 6th videos, Chris Rock had talked about how white men were playing the victim saying somehow losing the country. Now, I, I don't know. I haven't heard any white men crying that they're the victims outside of losing jobs due to people giving them to minorities. And you talk about, you know, there's examples everywhere. So I'm sorry, Chris, but yes, you know, white men that are trying to, you know, have jobs, support a family do feel discriminated against, especially straight white men. And there's good reason for them to feel that way because you're seeing it right out there in front of you. Pete Booty Judge, Booty Geek just made a speech talking about how we need to revamp the entire system that supports your road building and how it has to be 50% minority and 50% black, whatever it might be. <laughs> so yeah, you can say that they sh they're playing the victim, but there's a difference between creating a narrative wherein you're the victim in all circumstances and actually tangibly losing your job, seeing your community destroyed by, you know, meth addiction and opioid addiction because factories have moved out there and then wondering why there's nobody paying attention or visiting your town to try to help you out. And instead, all this money is put into, you know, communities of color here, there and everywhere and giving illegal immigrants college educations like we have in California or paying reparations, which California never had fucking slavery. Uh, never was legal here, never had it for a second, single second. Nobody here has ever owned slaves and nobody that lives here was ever a slave. But yet they want to pay $367,000 per black person in California. Chris, that's what they're talking about. That's what they are talking about. So they're not playing victims. It's not victimization to point out that there is a pretty fucked standard that's going on here, especially if you're somebody that believes in equality or people actually getting a fair shake, not respected to their skin color on its own. <laughs>
And that being the sole definition of who gets allocated certain monies or helps or whatever it might be. And with the white person being at the very bottom of the rung, right? And yes, there can be historical inequities. Nobody's saying that there isn't. Nobody's saying there isn't. But we have been working at this for a hundred years now. And maybe it's time to say, okay, let's just try to help everybody. All right. The other thing, he talked about how the idiots of January 6th overthrowing the country and made a I don't know, quasi jokes about it. Bad timing. Again, bad timing, considering the narratives are breaking down around that, that the video clearly shows that that was all uh, a hoax perpetrated by our government. And again, TBD, and I'm curious to see what Tucker reveals on this as far as what government operatives had, in fact, led this because it gave the government under Biden everything they wanted. It gave them the perfect situation in which to exploit, to get their domestic extremism programs going. It gives them the perfect excuse to attack Trump, to attack uh, the GOP and MAGA and uh, and white people. You know, it gave them a perfect opportunity to do all these things and remains to be seen just how much influence government had. Notably, the FBI director would not comment when asked if they had anybody embedded in there, which, of course, means yes. Uh, I think that's about it. I think that's about it, guys. So interesting. He did. Oh, he also did an, an annoying virtue signal to the trans issue. And it was a throwaway, unfunny story where he says, I don't know. I, my trans, I had big brothers, you know, very, ugh, got a guy. And if my dad came home and he was wearing a dress, you know, he'd go, what are the heels and the hair? And I'd have to defend him. I'd have to defend my dad if he was trans by saying, hey, that woman's your father. <laughs> Fart noise fart noise all right let's wrap it up a couple of quick things here and then we'll be done so which is i want to talk a little bit about this uh this live aid of course you know you got bono out there a bunch of other bands they're gonna hold a live aid concert to raise money for ukraine because apparently ukraine doesn't have enough money right despite the fact that there's billions upon billions upon billions of dollars being floated over there Every two weeks, it seems, from the United States, despite the fact that all these other European countries are donating fucking money, they're donating armament, despite the fact that Europe has a legitimate armament and bullet shortage, like I talked about in another episode, because they're giving Ukraine all of their weapons, despite the fact that we domestically have ramped up our militaristic uh, capabilities, creating armored shells and magazines and all those other things, because... We're sending all that crap to Ukraine, despite the fact that we've gifted them all this old military equipment and brand new military equipment and missiles and anti-missile devices and tanks and all this other shit and resources and personnel and satellites. You know, I'm sorry. How much money do you need? And when's it actually going to make a difference? And how much of it is even going to get through to you? Because there was the CBS story that talked about how 40% or maybe I think it was higher, I think 60% of the money was siphoned off anyway, going to Zelensky and oligarchs and corrupt actors all throughout the system. Now we're going to have a concert. Well, guys, we're going to play some music. Oh, everybody join hands for Ukraine. God, what are you going to send them? $10 million? How much of that $10 million is going to get to people that actually need it? Three, if any? It's like, jerk yourselves off in the fucking shower and call it a day, you fucking twats. Like, I can't stand this shit. All these lefty imbeciles fighting for Ukraine, it's not going to do anything. Let's be done here. Let's be done here with this propaganda war that's going on with Ukraine for a, a country that honestly, at the end of the day, just 
they're going to give up. They're going to they're going to sit down at the table. Russia's going to get probably Donbass. And then we're all going to go back to our lives. The fact that this has been drawn out for a year plus, the fact that Zelensky's been on the Oscars and the Grammys and, and Biden's jerking off over there on President's Day, touring around with fake air raid sirens, it's insulting to everything any Americans stand for. Foreign entanglements is one of the funking, the funky, the fundamental principles which we were seeking to avoid when this country was created. It was like priority number one. And here we are giving them all the money, all the weapons. And then, of course, who knows? Zelensky wants our sons and daughters to go over and die for Ukraine. Is Biden going to stop there? Who knows? There's no winning this for us. Just stop. <sighs> Another thing I noticed here just really pissed me off. There was this article about a American freedom fighter in Ukraine, a chick, a lady over there freedom fighting in Ukraine. So look forward to the next story coming out, just like that female cop that got the train ran on her. Looking forward to that story forthcoming at any point in time. But it's, again, the propaganda here. Some dumb chick goes off to fight the war in Ukraine. Really? I give a fuck. I give a, how the, how does this impact my life? This stupid chick goes off to fucking fight in Ukraine, quote unquote, fight in Ukraine. Like she's on the front lines. Get the fuck out of here. I can't stand this shit anymore. But yet I am white pilled. My friends, I'm still white pilled on the truth getting out on narratives breaking down on people being pissed about Ukraine on social media, being a conduit for people to see the truth in front of them, to avoid government narratives and to find a new way of thinking and of working. So I thank you for joining me on this little journey here and I will, uh, I bid you adieu. So don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash lions of Liberty or lions of Don't forget to check out crowd health. Odie did an ad on Monday, but you can go uh, with promo code LIONS on CrowdHealth, excuse me, CrowdHealth.com. You can get $99 for the first six months. So make sure to sign up for that. It is a new way to take care of your healthcare, guys. It is voluntary, voluntarist, voluntarist, Jesus, can't talk, in a way that it works on a community basis to allow you to pay your healthcare bills direct to a doctor. It is not health insurance. It is a better way to handle your health costs. So check that out too. And otherwise guys, subscribe, hit the notifications button. So you, uh, so you hit all the new content coming out, share the show, please give us a review. If you'd be so kind and don't forget to listen to the boring comedy podcast, B O H R I N G comedy podcast. All right, guys, that's it for me. Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty Network for me and age daydream. Keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that ray gun to my head.